hello one, hello all. Thank you so much for being a repeat listener on the podcast. We are Bending Not Breaking, and we have a different kind of episode for you this week. I will admit, I have been unreasonably busy, and having missed last week, I knew I wanted to put something out this week. And so what I have done is I am going to provide you the audio to a paper I have written for one of my classes while studying for my master's degrees. And what I have done is I have written about Avatar The Last Airbender, and what I am hoping to accomplish with this paper is to do a deep dive into essentially what is a cultural critique of masculinity utilizing the characters from the show. It is by no means a perfect paper and uh, not something I would necessarily publish into a book, but it is an interesting dive into my concept of masculinity and I use a lot of research to kind of back that up. And so if you're familiar with Avatar and you're interested in learning more about masculinity and how some of the great thinkers of our time have thought about it, then maybe this episode is for you. And I invite you to enjoy it, listen, pull up a chair, keep driving, doing whatever you're doing. But what's coming next is a audio version of that paper. And it is, uh, you know, not your normal content for the podcast. It's Uh, you know, academic. I am going to be researching and searching all kinds of authors and all kinds of things. Anyway, moral of the story is, I hope you enjoy if this is your thing. And if it's not, and you try, let me know. And I'd love to hear what your feedback is and uh, any thoughts that come to mind. Uh, Without further ado, here comes more Avatar and Masculinity. Avatar The Last Airbender, Atla heretofore, is an American animated fantasy television show originally released in 2005 from Nickelodeon's Animation Studio. The series was created by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konietzko and follows the adventures of 12-year-old Aang, Katara, Sokka, and Toph on a journey to bring back balance to the world. Aang, the main male protagonist and titular avatar, serves as the bridge between the spirit world and the human world, and the only person capable of certain magical feats. Atla, heavily inspired by anime, or animation originating from Japan, is set in a world notably influenced by Asian and Arctic cultures. The creators of Avatar critique imperialist, white, supremacist, cis-hetero-capitalist patriarchy through allegory by depicting the Fire Nation as oppressors. In Atla, the harmony between the nations has been disrupted by the Fire Nation's totalitarian regime who enacted a genocide of the Air Nation 100 years before the show takes place and continues to oppress and exploit the other nations as it attempts to gain total control. Aang, as the sole survivor of the Air Nation and the Avatar, attempts to restore balance to the world while primarily utilizing non-violent modes of resistance to nurture such immense systemic change. However, 
Aang's story occurs in dynamic relationship with the story of Zuko, son of the Fire Lord and initially Aang's primary antagonist. Zuko begins the show obsessing over capturing Aang to restore his honor and ends the series instead by joining Aang in the resistance of imperialist, fire nation, supremacist, cis-hetero-capitalist patriarchy. I contend that the show's portrayal of a variety of masculinities, especially its illustration of Zuko's character arc delineating an anti-patriarchal feminist masculinity, contributed significantly to its success in popular culture. I rely on black feminist critiques of patriarchy and masculinity to illustrate how Atlas' portrayal of non-hegemonic masculinities contributes to its success in popular culture. The problem is that masculinity as a term absent of plurality is too broad a term to be helpful. Chris Haywood and Thomas Johansson provided definition for masculinity as follows. Masculinity is a relational concept often used indiscriminately and applied to males of all ages, assuming the same logic of identity and practice of a three-year-old child with those of a middle-aged man, end quote. In other words, they help us see that masculinity is a descriptive term, and because it attempts to describe too many things, it fails to be useful. Thankfully, Raywin Connell in 2005 publishes Masculinities, intentionally writing about multiple masculinities in order to resist essentializing what might be called, quote, true masculinity, end quote, or some kind of masculinity that, quote, proceeds from men's bodies, end quote. Considering multiple masculinities necessitates further explication of normative hegemonic masculinities, Chris Chang provides an important definition of hegemonic masculinity. Quote, the hegemonic definition of manhood is a man in power, a man with power, and a man of power. We equate manhood with being successful, capable, reliable, in control. The very definitions of manhood we have developed in our culture maintain the power that some men have over other men and that men have over women, end quote. Cheng illustrates that hegemonic masculinity is defined by its relationship to power. However, other masculinities are also defined by their relationship to power. Haywood and Johansson again define marginalized masculinities, contending that what counts as marginalized masculinity is, quote, located and defined in relation to men that hold cultural privilege. From this perspective, masculinity becomes the resource through which marginalization takes place, end quote. In other words, marginalized masculinities are determined by how much power they control. Importantly, however, cultural values shift and change over the course of history, which demands that hegemonic is subject to change over time as well. I believe it is with a hope for such a change that Bell Hooks casts a vision in which she calls for a change to a normative feminist masculinity. Hooks asserts contemporary books and movies offer clear portraits of the evils of patriarchy without offering direction for change. And until we can create a popular culture that affirms and celebrates masculinity without upholding patriarchy, we will never see a change in the way that masses of males think about the natures of their identity, end quote. 
Additionally, Hooke's contrasts patriarchal masculinity with feminist masculinity as follows, quote, patriarchal masculinity teaches males to be pathologically narcissistic, infantile, and psychologically dependent for self-definition on privileges, however relative, that they receive from having been born male. Feminist masculinity presupposes that it is enough for males to be to have value, that they do not have to do to perform to be affirmed and loved. Feminist masculinity would have as its chief constituents integrity, self-love, emotional awareness, assertiveness, relational skill, including the capacity to be empathic, autonomous, and connected. End quote. When contrasting such masculinities, Hooks makes it clear that when men can see themselves outside of the need to, quote, prove their manhood by idealizing aloneness and disconnection and become more real through the act of connecting to others through building community, end quote, so too will men be able to successfully embody feminist masculinity. However, Hooks notes specifically that men cannot change if there are no blueprints for change. Indeed, just as Hooks calls for a change in how masculinity is portrayed in the media in 2004, Atla, beginning in 2005, creates an animated portrayal of a boy steeped in patriarchal masculinity, learning to adapt to a more marginalized masculinity. I dare say even a feminist masculinity. In the show, Zuko, over the course of the three-season story, goes from being angry, violent, narcissistic, and supportive of the oppressive Fire Nation goals to being one of Aang's most important allies in the resistance of the oppressive regime. From the beginning, though, Zuko displayed a softer, more marginalized masculinity evidenced by his care for small creatures like turtle ducks and emotional sensitivity. His father, Fire Lord Ozai, and the man with the most significant power demonstrated substantial disdain for his son's masculinity. Truly, when Zuko demonstrated care for others, his father saw this as a sign of weakness and therefore a sign of dishonor. Ozai chose to burn his son's face as punishment, scarring him permanently, which instilled in Zuko the need to regain his honor by perpetuating the same domination and violence over others, specifically the Avatar. At first, Zuko denied that his father's actions were wrong, and he perpetuated the masculinity his father recognized and approved of to seek worthiness in his eyes. However, as Hooks writes, our mental well-being is dependent on our capacity to face reality. We can only face reality by breaking through denial, end quote. Zuko began to heal when confronted with the consistent kindness of Aang, and his friends, and could not deny the reality of his pain any longer. Zuko's journey is one of healing, in which he recovers from violent trauma and begins to work towards self-actualization. Hooks in Sisters of the Yam, Black Women in Self-Recovery, writes, quote, I have seen that we cannot fully create effective movements for social change if individuals struggling for that change are not also self-actualized or working towards that end. End quote. While Hook speaks directly to black women in Sisters of the Yam, I want to illustrate how the masculinities that the protagonists embody align with black feminist aims. 
Indeed, Aang, the sole survivor of a mass genocide, also works towards self-actualization. Throughout the series, Aang works to master different styles of bending to develop himself spiritually and physically. An entire episode in the second season is dedicated to his spiritual growth in which he must unlock his spiritual energy. Though I speak directly of Zuko and Aang, the show illustrates how the rest of their team collectively works towards self-actualization, even as they resist the Fire Nation as well. Even so, Aang and Zuko provide the viewers with male role models unlike others in the media landscape of the late 2000s. Atla imagines a world in which softer, more humble masculinity finds success condemning the hegemonic patriarchal masculinity depicted by Fire Lord Ozai. As these events unfolded for the first time on Nickelodeon in 2005 through 2008, Tarana Burke created the hashtag MeToo in 2006 to cultivate awareness of sexual violence. By 2018, the movement had gone viral, and most everyone had some knowledge of the movement by condemning patriarchal masculinity. The movement's con condemnation of a masculinity that could perpetuate sexual violence created a cultural acceptability for a softer, more tender masculinity. Another important cultural influence on soft and tender masculinity is the Netflix show Queer Eye. Queer Eye was rebooted in 2018 from the original Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, which ran from 2003 to 2007. The original series, problematic in its depiction of gay men as servants to straight men, portrayed how the masculinity of gay men was only useful in service of the hegemonic masculinity. However, the reboot of the show in 2018 adapts in such a way as to address those issues and became incredibly successful, unlike the original ever did. Naveen Minai argues that the cast, quote, offers us masculinities reworked and queered to center tenderness, playfulness, care, and joy, end quote. Its success depicts a media landscape in which the hegemonic patriarchal masculinity is shifting to accept more tenderness. There are many notable reasons potentially contributing to the shift, and one among them is being Obama's repealing of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which is the rule for military in 2011. Later in 2015, the Supreme Court of the United States legalized gay marriage, creating a federal measure for accepting different masculinities in the eyes of the law. The cultural background leading up to COVID-19 pandemic altered the types of masculinity that were being that were willing to celebrate in the Western world. Especially considering Burke's Me Too movement's castigation of so many male celebrities who perpetuated patriarchal masculinity, the world craved masculinity that would not perpetuate the same harms. Into this landscape, Atla re-enters on Netflix in 2020 and becomes a record-breaking show, at least in part because it envisions anti-patriarchal masculinities. However, it does not merely illustrate different masculinities, it traces Zuko's journey from innocence to being indoctrinated into hegemonic patriarchal masculinity, and then the long journey to self-recovery and a masculinity without violence, or as Hooks might call it, a feminist masculinity. For example, during the Day of Black Sun, where in Atla there is a solar eclipse that lasts for eight minutes, disconnects all firebenders from their abilities to bend fire, Zuko confronts Ozai. 
Zuko, who had returned to the Fire Nation under the premise of a lie that his sister Azula chose to spread, decided to choose integrity and say, I'm here to tell the truth. Ozai responds harshly, threatening Zuko's life if he does not get out of Ozai's sight. Hooks writes, quote, The parent-child relationship in a culture of domination like this one is based on the assumption that the adult has the right to rule the child, end quote. Zuko's response to his father's assumption of control is assertive and self-loving. He first says he will no longer take orders from his father, setting boundaries, and proceeds by saying, quote, For so long all I wanted was for you to love me, to accept me. I thought it was my honor I wanted, but really, I was just trying to please you. You, my father, who banished me just for talking out of turn. End quote. When Ozai claims it was for Zuko's own good, he tells Ozai it was cruel. Zuko demonstrates here marked growth in his emotional awareness and self-love in these remarks. Zuko, continuing to choose honesty and integrity, tells his father that he has learned from his banishment and being proximate to marginalized people of the world. He asserts that the Fire Nation has, quote, created an era of fear in the world. We need to replace it with an era of peace and kindness, end quote. Furthermore, Zuko states he is going to join the Avatar on his quest for balance, Rather than facing the Fire Lord with violence at the point when he is weakest to overthrow him, Zuko, armed and capable of killing his father, chooses non-violence. In a final attempt to control his son, Ozai, who wants to keep Zuko there long enough for the eclipse to pass so that he would have more power, tells Zuko about his mother, which had been withheld from him since her disappearance. Zuko cries when he learns his mother is alive and the eclipse ends at that moment. Seeing a boy cry on screen, and not for the first time, signals a more tender masculinity. Ozai, whose firebending had been restored at that moment, capitalizes on Zuko's perceived moment of weakness and attempts to kill him through lightning bending. Zuko, who had learned a lightning redirection bending technique, again opts for non-violence, and instead of sending the lightning back towards his father, sends it into the ground. Again, Zuko refuses power despite his father giving him the very power with which he could have ended Ozai's life. This episode of Atla illustrates how Zuko has embraced a feminist masculinity in that his actions align with Hook's chief constituents, quote, integrity, self-love, emotional awareness, assertiveness, and relational skill, including the capacity to be empathic, autonomous, and connected. It is important to consider Zuko's full journey from indoctrination into patriarchy towards a feminist masculinity because it depicts the potential for change for those most steeped in patriarchal thinking. Zuko is a prince of the Fire Nation, the heir to the most oppressive regime in the history of the world of Avatar. One might believe that if he can embrace a feminist politic, then anyone can. Hooks argues in Feminist Theory from Margin to Center that feminist theory, at its most visionary, quote, will emerge from individuals who have knowledge from both margin and center, end quote. 
It seems that Ozai's poor treatment of Zuko and their violent culture is at once traumatizing and the birthplace of Zuko's capacity to resist. For many who dream through a black feminist lens, a world like Atla in which those with the most power and privilege would change and denounce patriarchal domination provides hope for our own reality. Hooks argues that men cannot change if there are no blueprints for change, which is precisely why I believe Atla has been so successful. It illustrates the possibility that men can change and that blueprint of feminist masculinity might lead to a brighter future. Even so, Hooks clearly calls for change from people of all genders, speaking directly to women as she writes, quote, before we can resist male domination, we must work to transform female consciousness, end quote. It is imperative then not just to examine Aang and Zuko, but the women of the show as well. Zuko's sister, Azula, is depicted as one of the most vicious antagonists of the show. She is honored and praised for her prodigious skill as a firebender by Ozai, who proceeds to use her talents to progress his own patriarchal aims. She had seen through Zuko's trauma and banishment what occurs when one does not enact such a masculinity. Instead of falling prey to the same end, Azula chose to access and enact patriarchal masculinity for her own power and privilege. Masculinities can and are accessed by people of all genders, and women, particularly women of privilege, often do access patriarchal masculinity when they have the option to protect themselves. Hooks cautions that, quote, until we focus on class divisions between women, we will be unable to build political solidarity, end quote. Azula's class as Fire Nation royalty and prodigious skill as a firebender creates a landscape upon which she would choose to co-opt patriarchal masculinity for her own benefit. Martha Feynman asserts that rather than one's multiple identities producing webs of advantages and disadvantages, it is instead, quote, systems of power and privilege that interact together to create these inequalities, end quote. It is not Azula's identity as a woman, or Ozai's identity as a man for that matter, that presents their limited choices, but rather the system of patriarchy in which they are embedded. It is due to their location and desire to protect that power status that they enact patriarchal masculinity, which again is the resource through which marginalization takes place. Katara, a woman of poverty-stricken Southern Water tribe, perhaps coincidentally illustrated with the darkest skin tone among the Four Nations, experiences a different story. She begins in the margin, having lost her mother to a Fire Nation raid and suffered terrible countrywide loss. Her village is poor and without resources due to the Fire Nation's attack and continued exploitation of her people. Yet, she, alongside Aang, works towards self-recovery and self-actualization to the point where her access to power leads her to a pivotal question of integrity. She learns the secret and devastating art of bloodbending from an escaped prisoner that was tortured by the Fire Nation. Bloodbending, even though it was developed as a means of resistance, by its very nature is violent and dominating in that it allows the wielder to control people's bodies through extreme pain. 
Katara's newfound power grants her the capacity to perpetuate the violence and trauma by seeking revenge on her mother's killer. She hunts down the man who killed her mother and rather than killing him, lets him live. Instead of living into the hegemonic masculinity to which she had access, she chose to live into a feminist and anti-violent praxis. Analyzing Katara and Azula's stories side by side allows us to see how masculinities can be accessed and leveraged by women as well as men. It also allows us to see how the show privileges feminist masculinities since the protagonists come out victorious in the end. Through their embrace of feminist ideals, Aang, Zuko, Katara, and the rest of the team end up removing Ozai from power, resulting in Zuko's ascent as new Fire Lord. The social change and resistance of oppression led to a new masculinity in a position of power, which then, of course, begins to cultivate a new form of hegemonic masculinity. Hannah McGregor, discussing masculinity in her podcast Material Girls, asks, At what point do some of those marginalized masculinities become the new hegemonic masculinity? And how might they start to accrue their own power and their own capital and their own complicity in the upholding of patriarchy? In other words, the show illustrates how an anti-patriarchal feminist masculinity might facilitate the resistance of patriarchy, but overthrowing the totalian dictator is only one step. Atla's story arc ends with the successful ousting of the dictator and others who perpetuated systemic harms, but the work of resistance must be addressed and must address the systemic issues themselves, lest history repeat itself. Thank you all so much for listening to this uh essentially thesis on masculinity uh using avatar the last airbender as a vehicle to have that conversation uh all of the all of the resources and things that were referenced in this can be found on our Substack. uh the whole paper along with references and uh even a few pictures and things along those lines are available uh, if you want to comment on it, you can, of course, contact us on social media, BNB underscore pod. You can find our BNB pod Substack uh, and check out that and subscribe if you want to catch more uh, blog posts that happen there occasionally. Uh, but no matter what, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been another episode of Bending Not Breaking. Thanks for listening. Until next time, be well and do good. <laughs>